Well, the topic this morning is approaching God. And when I, I'm actually really excited that we're talking about this. When I think about the subject of, when I think about the word approach, where my head honestly tends to go is I think about planes coming in for a landing, like they're lining up their approach, like that's kind of where my head normally takes this topic. But in terms of um, relationally, it's actually pretty important. Um, when you think about the important people in your life and those moments when you have to have a difficult conversation, maybe not even a difficult conversation, but an important conversation, oftentimes what you're stressing about is not so much the content of the conversation. Like you kind of know, hey, I know this is what we need to talk about, and I know this is the outcome that we're kind of aiming for, and this is what we're looking at. Really what you're obsessing, on, obsessing over when you're driving home, knowing you have to have this conversation with your kid or your wife or a friend or something like that, is you're obsessing over the approach, right? Okay, how do I bring this up? How do I talk about this? I don't want this to end in a fight. You know, it's approach is, is, is really important. And it's not just important in these kind of interpersonal relationships. It can be important in all kinds of relationships. Like, like imagine this. How, what would be your mindset? How would you approach your boss to talk about a raise? Approach matters, right? I tell you how I do it. Uh, when I want to approach my boss for a raise, I like to do it publicly in the middle of a worship service. Alan, I'm so glad that you're here. I wanted to chat with you. That's why I don't get raises. It might be my approach. It never, it never seems to go over. But uh, uh, approach is important, and, but it's even bigger than that. It really is, I was, as I was thinking about this, because the way that two people approach one another it actually communicates something about the relationship, right? How two people approach one another, it communicates... Well, I'll give you an example. You ever see, you ever see may, what you would assume would be a, a young couple, and you watch the way they approach one another, and you think, oh, they're newlyweds. Isn't that sweet, right? Other, uh, no, nobody, no. Other times, you might watch a couple approach each other, and you might think, there is trouble, right? You know, sadly, that can, that can, be, that can, be, that can be challenging. You ever, you ever have the opportunity to approach a celebrity, you know, maybe like, a, maybe like a real famous person, or maybe someone who's just a big deal, like in your field at work? You know, you kind of watch those approaches, right? And you, you know, and what would it communicate about the relationship? You see someone making the approach, and they're very timid, and they're like, excuse me, ma'am, I just, uh, I'm a big fan, could you sign my thing? You know, like that communicates something about the relationship, right? It communicates how that person views themselves in the relationship, how they view the other person, right? Or, or, or the other scenario, right? You, you, maybe, maybe this is you, but, you, you know, are you seeing the same kind of scenario you're encountering, maybe a celebrity, and you kind of see that person who they want to make it clear that they are not impressed that there is a famous person on the elevator with me. So it's like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, so where are you going? You know, it's like the, that approach communicates something about the relationship, right? You know, and so, so the way that we approach our relationships, they, again, they communicate how we view ourselves in the relationship, how we view the other person. And in a lot of senses, what's the, what is the health of the relationship, right? 
So when we think about how we approach God, oftentimes the same things are true. Because for many, the way that they approach God could potentially communicate, I'm not sure God likes me. The way that they approach God may communicate, you know, I know he loves me, all that, because I'm supposed to believe that, but I think he's very disappointed in me. The way that you, someone approaches God might communicate that, you know what, that that person believes that God works for them, right? That maybe God's their employee or something, you know what I mean? And you, you watch the approach sometimes, you know, th this kind of thing. Approach communicates a lot. You watch someone, you know, or maybe, you know, your, the way you approach God might communicate, you know, my father and I, we are very intimate and we love one another deeply. Like, the, like all of those kinds of things, th those can be, you can, you can kind of uncover some of those things by thinking about how you approach God. And so it's an important topic. And so I'm glad we're talking about it this morning. And, and um, the way that we're going to go after talking about this is we are going to look at some passages in the Gospel of Luke. A couple years ago, a, a year ago, two, I don't exactly remember, but a couple, some time ago I was doing a, uh, just my own kind of personal Bible study through the Gospel of Luke. And it's important to me that you know that I was doing a personal Bible study in the Gospel of Luke so that you can be impressed <laughs> with what a great Christian I am. So we could check that off the list, mission accomplished. Um, no, but so I'm, so I'm kind of working my way through the Gospel of Luke. I like to journal, this kind of stuff. And so, so when I get to chapter 18, uh, I'm reading these, what appear to me initially to be unconnected stories. You know how you can kind of read through the Gospels and it's like, hey, and Jesus did this, and then he went over here and did this, and then he talked to some people and did that. And so I'm reading through these kinds of stories, and kind of my first pass through, they didn't seem connected. But the more I looked at these stories, I began to wonder, gosh, did Luke, when he was putting this together, did he put these accounts next to each other on purpose because maybe he was trying to communicate something? Because all three of these instances that I was reading, they really kind of at least communicated something to me about how we should approach God. And I was really taken back by it. And so, so if it's okay, I'd like to walk us through those this morning and kind of talk about what we learned. I hope it's okay because I don't have anything else planned. So, so you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 18. And if I were good like Mark, I would have looked up what page number that's on. But in your New Testament, you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you want to go to Luke chapter 18. And we are going to pick up uh, starting in verse 1. Oh, I should set the stage for you. Uh, so if, if, we won't go back and look at it, but if you go back a little bit and look, you'll see that all of everything we're going to read this morning takes place in the context. Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees, religious leaders. That you know, I still see some people looking. Can someone shout out what page number is that on in the Pew Bible? Eleven fifteen. Eleven fifteen in your seatback Bible, Luke chapter eighteen. Great. Uh, so Jesus in, is is in the middle of a conversation with uh, the religious leaders, with the Pharisees. And if you've spent any time in the New Testament, or maybe you've been around church for a while, you know that rarely when Jesus is having conversations with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, is it a pleasant experience, right? Usually these guys are, they're not into Jesus, and they're trying to shut him down. And so 
so it's not good. So that's kind of the background for what we're about to read. He's in the middle of this conversation, and he tells two parables, and we see a, a, a little story. So let's look at the first one. Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. Now let me stop right there just to clue you in here. This is actually quite a gift because Luke, the author, before we actually read the parable and read what Jesus said, Luke clues us in to what Jesus is trying to communicate with this parable. Sometimes parables can be puzzling, you know, and, and sometimes people will read them and they think, okay, how do I understand what's going on here? Let me give you the quick, the, the quick tutorial on how to understand a parable. A parable, all a parable is, is a short fictional story intended to communicate one simple point. So Jesus is telling this parable. It's a story that he made up. It didn't really happen. It's just a made-up story that Jesus is telling to communicate one simple singular point. So when you read these parables, you don't have to spend time trying to figure out, okay, this kid, the father in the parable represents God, and the, the bowl of fish represent this. You, like, you don't have to do any of that. You just you read the parable, and, and you say, okay, what's the main central idea that is trying to be communicated here? And, and all the other details are really, they're kind of, you know, color for the story, to, to kind of give the story some purpose. That's how you understand a parable. And Luke tells us right at the beginning what the parable is about. Again, ver, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. He told them a parable to the effect that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. And then we get into the parable in verse 2. He said, Jesus, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Okay, so now we have the first character in the parable. We have this judge who he doesn't care about God and he doesn't care about people. You could all, uh, I think you could maybe assume that he's just in it for himself, but this is, this is not a good guy. Okay, but what he does have is he has the power, right? So doesn't care about God doesn't care about people, and unfortunately for everybody else, he's in charge, okay? So this is our first character. And, verse 3, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. Okay, so there's our second character. So first, we've got the judge. Doesn't care about God, doesn't care about people, has all the power. And then we have this widow. Now, you should know that in first century culture, widows were at the bottom of the pecking order. If you were a lady and you lost your husband and, oh, man, and you didn't have any sons to take care of you, you were almost certainly destitute. And, and in a lot of ways dependent on the kindness and the charity of others. So you were, it was a very precarious position to be in, to be a widow in the first century. It wasn't good. And this woman, this widow, finds herself in this situation. And worse than that, she is in trouble. She's got an adversary. And so we've set up, we've got our two characters in the story. We've got the, the wicked judge, and we've got the widow who is in need of help. So already we see the power imbalance, right, you know, going on here. And so, so, so this is how Jesus sets it up for us. And the other thing that we learn about this widow is that she has been coming to this judge day after day after day, again and again and again, begging, pleading for justice. Please, I am in trouble. Help me. Okay? I think we're in verse 4. For a while, he, the judge, refused. 
But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So, so, there, so, so there's, the whole, there's the whole parable. We've got the judge. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about people. Doesn't care about doing what's right. We've got this widow who, is, who has no power and has a problem and needs help. And the judge is not interested in helping her. But because she won't leave him alone, he finally grants her justice. Because she keeps bothering him. He's like, just to get her to go away, fine, I'll help her. This is the parable Jesus tells. And listen, so now Jesus is going to give his explanation. Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. What, What did he say? He said that I don't care about doing what's right, but just to get her to leave me alone, I'm going to help her. There's, remember what he says, okay. Verse 7, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I imagine Jesus saying that last bit and looking up and making eye contact with all of these religious leaders standing around is he going to find faith on the earth? And so, what's Je- so Jesus tells this parable. He tells this story. And he says, how do you approach God? Well, think about it like this. If this wicked judge, who could care less about people, is willing to help this helpless person because she keeps asking, just so that, honestly, she would leave him alone and she would stop bothering him, How much more do you think your Father in heaven, who loves you, for whom you are no bother, do you think God would do any less? And Jesus' point is, of course not. Because again, what's the point of the parable? Why did Jesus tell the parable? Remember, Luke told us right at the beginning. He said, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Why should you always pray and not lose heart? Because the God who knows your name, the God who knows your story, the God who knows what you walked in here this morning with and what you're facing and what you're going to walk out of here with, that God loves you and he cares and he is at work in your life for good. So how do we approach God? Persistently. Consistently, we keep showing up. We keep going before him. This is important. Not to try to twist his arm to do something. See, sometimes we can read passages like this, and we can think, okay, so that's the secret, right? That's the formula. That's how I get God to do the thing I want him to do. I keep asking and asking and asking, and if I'm persistent in prayer, God will do the thing that I want him to do. That's not Jesus' point. And by the way, as you read through the scriptures, if you come to places where you feel like, oh, I think maybe I found a formula to get God to do what I want, I would gently, humbly encourage you to take a step back. 
because that's not the case. Oh, if you, if you believe and have faith, you can, you can say to a mountain, it's going to jump in the ocean. You know, you know, you look at these passages, you think, okay, there's some formula to get God to do what I want him to do. You should take a step back because that, that's not what's going on there. And if you think about it, right, I mean, let's just be honest. It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, let's just process it for a second. The idea that mortal sinful, fallen people could somehow discover a trick, a hack, a formula that turns the sovereign God of the universe who made everything and knows everything, the all-wise God, that there's some kind of way that we could turn him into our genie, that if I just rub the lamp, God will do the thing that I want him to do. Aladdin is coming out, and so the genie thing's on my mind, okay? Um, that we could somehow turn God into our own personal genie, right? I mean, it's a little silly, right? I mean, of course, of course not. But that's not Jesus' point. His point isn't, here's how you twist God's arm and get him to do what you want. No, no, no. His point is, when you're in the middle of it, you shouldn't retreat from God. You should run to him because he cares about you. And he's involved. And that's an important thing for some of us to hear this morning because some of you are here and you have been walking through tough stuff for a long time. And we don't have God's perspective, right? We, we don't see the whole, we don't see everything from start to finish, the whole picture and, and get a sense of how it's all working out and what God is doing and all that. We don't get the benefit of that, right? We're just, all we see is right now. We're right in the middle of it. And in the middle of it, it can sometimes feel like, God, are you even there? Are you even listening? Do you care? And Jesus' answer is yes. Yes. I'm here. I care. I'm involved. How should you pray? How do you approach God? Often, persistently, you go before your Heavenly Father because he loves you. All right. So let's, let's keep going. We're going to move to our next little parable in verse 9. And remember the context, who Jesus is talking to, right? All these, you got these religious leaders, other folks, they're, they're all around, there's the crowd. So in verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So this, this is, here's the background for this parable. Verse 10, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, Pharisees, just so you know, they were the professional religious people. They were the professional good guys, right? They were, they were, their, jo their whole job was to walk around being good, you know what I mean? And the tax collectors, they were like considered the worst of the worst in that culture because they cheated people and took more than they needed. And so even the sinners, the folks who would say, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not a tax collector. Don't lump me in with those guys. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the, the, the dichotomy that Jesus is setting up here. We got these two different, two different folks, right? So two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. Okay, so this is starting off on the right foot. We've got gratitude, thanksgiving. Okay, this is going to be good. Here we go. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Okay, it took a turn. It took an ugly turn. All right. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, 
extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So this guy's at it. Can you just, you feel, you feel the smugness, right? You know, just the attitude of this guy that is like, God, I thank you that I am the best. Honestly, you should probably be thanking me. You're so lucky to have me on your team. You know, it's like you just, you feel the arrogance in this deal. And thank you, and most of all, thank you that I am not like those other people. Thank you that I am just a little bit, maybe a lot better than everybody else. Right? You know, it's just this, ugh, ugh. It's just, is there not a more gross thing, can we just be honest, than that kind of attitude? It's just, ugh. Well, all right, let's keep reading. If you were listening on the audio, that sound was, ooh. <laughs> it's for your benefit. Okay. Um, verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this is Jesus talking, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever, any, everyone, excuse me, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So how do we approach God? We approach him humbly. We recognize that for a Jesus follower, there is simply no place for, no room for, smug, superior, self-righteousness. The idea, and sometimes, let's be honest, hey, sometimes as Christians, we carry around some of this, right? The idea that somehow we might be better than somebody else is so anti to the gospel. It's so counterintuitive um, to, to, to everything that Jesus has called us to be about. It should be something that we continually reject. There is no place for that kind of attitude. And, you know, and oftentimes we have it with people that maybe we consider outsiders. Those people are not like us. Well, you know, I've been following Jesus since I was, you know, blah, 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 and I don't do any of the bad stuff, and blah, blah, you know, and we tend to just think that we're so, you know, and we don't say it that way because we know better, but those kinds of feelings, right, they kind of creep up, you know, and it, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. I was warned against meddling in this sermon, okay, so it's like don't meddle in my life. So, uh, but, but, the, but the idea that we would hold on to any sense of being better than another person is so repugnant and so anti-gospel that we must reject it. The gospel says, hey, listen, I am a sinner, and I am broken, and I am lost, and apart from the mercy and grace of God displayed in Jesus, I am lost forever. But because of God's incredible love, he has rescued me, adopted me into his family, and even more than that, and this is so big, he invites me to participate in bringing that mercy and grace and love to others around, and that should be our attitude as we approach God, this humble sense of gratitude. God, you're so good. Thank you for your love. 
I'm so, so grateful. So how do we approach God? We approach him persistently. We approach him humbly. Last thing. Now, those two were parables, and this is like an account, a story, something that actually happened. And so in verse 15, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. Get those kids out of here. We are, Jesus, is, we are busy. And in fact, we're actually, we're, you know, they're actually trying to get somewhere. They're, they're on the, all these stories happen. They're on the road to Jerusalem. So I imagine the disciples being like, you know, we have got to go. Jesus, if you're going to stop every 10 minutes to talk to somebody, we are never going to get there. And James keeps having to use the bathroom, so we have to pull off and stop. And it's just, can we please get a move on? Jesus doesn't have time for these kids. And Jesus says, but Jesus called them saying, excuse me, called them, but Jesus called them to him saying, let the little children, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so Jesus teaches us two things that are really important. First, Jesus has time for you. Children, as you know, were at the, they may have been lower than widows in the totem pole, right, in, in first century culture. They couldn't do anything for you. You know, making time for it to have a conversation with a child isn't going to gain you access to influential people or resources. It's not going to be a, you know, you, you don't want kids in the networking meeting. You know, it's not going to help you in that regard, right? It's like, it's that kind of thing. You know, and so the, you know, so to, to be kind to children, it didn't benefit you in any way, right? I mean, the kids aren't going to do anything for you kind of a thing, you know, and this is the point. Jesus has time for the least influential people in our culture. And Jesus has time for you. He's not bothered by you. He's not too busy for you. And he is not uninterested in you. The second thing Jesus teaches us is that children are actually, there's something about children that we need to learn as we approach God. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. For whoever wants to receive the kingdom must receive it like a child, or they're not going to enter. And Jesus' point, maybe you've heard this before, Jesus' point is not that our faith should be child, childish. Not thought through, unreasoned, um, you know, all, just kind of all over the place. That's not his point. Jesus' point is that our faith is not that our faith should be childish, is that our faith should be childlike. There is something, our, our, the way that we interact with God, the way that we approach God, should look something like the way a kid approaches their parents. The way a little boy trusts his mom. Today's Mother's Day. When my youngest, Luke, he's six years old, when he asks me either like to make him a snack 
or to make him chocolate milk, which is usually what the request is. It's usually chocolate milk. He loves it. Um, he is never standing over my shoulder to make sure I'm not putting something in his drink that isn't healthy for him, right? Well, I mean, except for the chocolate part. But you, you, you know what I'm saying. When, 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 when I tell them to get in the car and we're driving somewhere, they're never worried about where I'm taking them, unless it's a school day. I mean, then they're deeply concerned. But, but out, you know, outside of that, why? Because your children trust you. Children trust their dad, their mom, their grandparents, aunts, you know, this kind of thing. And, 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 and Jesus' point is, that should be the attitude that characterizes us as we approach our Heavenly Father. God, I trust you. And that's, that can be challenging, especially if you're someone who's, you know, who's got to know all the details and have it all worked out. You're a bit of a control freak, but I respect that. Um, you know, it's, you know that, can be real, that can be challenging sometimes. But God says, listen, when you approach me, would you approach me with the kind of trust that a child gives to their mom? their dad, to their grandparents. And that's, that's kind of the attitude. So how do we approach God? We approach him persistently. We approach him humbly. And we approach him with childlike trust. Now my question for us is where does that land with you this morning? Are you, maybe you're here this morning and you have been walking through tough stuff for a long time. And it's like, God, are you listening? God, are you here? Do you care? You need to know that your heavenly Father has not forgotten you. He cares, and he is involved. And it's precisely in those moments that you should choose to run to your heavenly Father and approach him and say, God, I'm here, and I have needs, and I need help, and would you just be present with me, knowing that God loves you, and he cares, and he is actually at work in our lives for good, even in those moments when it's unclear. Maybe you relate to the Pharisee in the story. You'd never admit that out loud, and that's fine. You know, but it's like maybe you sit there and you're like, you know, if I'm really honest, sometimes I watch the news, sometimes I scroll through my, you know, my feed, sometimes I'm talking to folks, and if I'm really honest, I'd never say this out loud, but I have this little sense of superiority inside where I feel like maybe I'm just a little bit better than those people and you define those people, however you, whatever that means for you. And, you know, and maybe, maybe there's that sense in you that says, you know what? I need to meditate on the gospel. I need to let go of that sense because there's no place for that in God's kingdom. There's no place for that sense of self-righteousness superiority, I'm better than other people. That is just it's, it's ridiculous. You know, and so, so if that's you, I would just gently, lovingly encourage you to turn from that, to repent, to admit it. And you, hey, you, <laughs> you want to deal with self-righteousness in the, you just, it'll deal with it so fast, but it's the worst possible thing. Just admit it out loud to another person. Sit down with someone, have coffee, and say, you know what, I really wrestle with feeling like I'm better than other people. Boy, that'll deal. That'll just take the heat, take the heat right off of it, man. If you're really serious, you should do that. That'll jump in. Um, or maybe you're here, and you feel like you relate to the tax collector in the story, to the one who's like, God, you know, if I'm really honest, I don't think God wants anything to do with me. If God knew what has happened in my past, 
the, the, the carnage left behind for the choices that I've made, whatever it is, you know, this kind of thing. How in the world could God want anything to do with me? You should know that God is, listen, he loves you. And God is not here to try to pay you back for something. He wants to win you back. And so if that's you this morning, would you consider turning to Jesus, believing the gospel, believing the good news that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that anyone, everyone who believes in him, who puts their trust in him, will not perish, but have eternal life. That message is for you this morning. God loves you, and he invites you into a relationship. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you, you are the, the, the control freak. I need more of those in my life. They're amazing. They get things done. You know what I mean? But it's like, hey, you know, I have a hard time with that childlike faith because, you know, I need to, God, you need to tell me what is happening, okay? I need to know the, this step and the next step, and can we get a chart and map it out. Maybe there's a spreadsheet involved. I don't know. But, you know, all of these kinds of things. And it's like, and the idea of stepping back from that and saying, God, I will just trust you with whatever's next. is terrifying. But you should know that that's the kind of trust that God invites you into. He says that you can think of, you can, you can relate to me the way a young person, the way a child would relate to their mom. I've got your back. I'm looking out for you, and I love you. So wherever you land there, I don't know where you land. I don't know what your next best step is in terms of what we've talked about this morning, but let me tell you this last thing as we close. And I saved the best for last. Do you know the most important um, thing that we can, you know, how do I say this? The most important aspect to approaching God, and when we think about how we are to approach God, do you know what the most important aspect of that actually is? Actually approaching God. That's the most important thing. So here's, so here's what I want us to think about as we leave. Wherever you land with what we've talked about this morning, wherever you find yourself in those stories, would you consider, would you consider making it a priority to approach your heavenly Father more regularly? Imagine what could happen if we were a group of people that made it a priority to approach our Father who loves us, to be in his presence, to be with him through reading his word, through prayer, through all of these ways, through worship, through all of these ways that we approach our Heavenly Father. What could happen in us? And how could God use us to make a difference in the world around us? It's a big deal. So as we pray, the worship team is going to come and they're gonna, we're going to close our morning with a song. And so as they come, would you join me in prayer? God, thank you so much for your graciousness and your love. Thank you that you invite us to approach you and to approach you often. Thank you that you invite us to come near, to draw close, to be intimate with you. And we don't have to be perfect, and we don't have to have it all together. All we really need to do is show up.
And so for those of us that, that need to approach you more persistently, for those of us that need to approach you more humbly, for those of us that need to approach you with greater childlike faith, and for those of us who need to make the decision just to approach you at all, would you help each one of us know what to do with what we've heard? And would you give us the courage to do it? Thank you, Jesus. We love you.